0: So, my I'm going to make a million dollars selling this awesome, beautiful house with views over the Bay Area. I lost more than
1: $200,000. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Daniel Ramsey. Daniel, are you ready to rock? I am always ready to rock, man. Oh, yeah. Well, Daniel is the founder and CEO of MyOutDesk, the highest rated virtual assistant company in the marketplace with many hundreds of five-star reviews and over 10 years of experience serving more than 5,000... Clients. That's amazing. Daniel is a longtime licensed real estate broker, mortgage broker, and general contractor who sold hundreds of homes and made millions in commission and built real estate's number one staffing company. Back in 2008, he was inspired by his own time management struggles to find a better way to help agents leverage their time and energy and created. My OutDesk to provide a trusted, reliable solution to the office administration, marketing, and prospecting tasks that every agent has, but most lack time to focus on. We all know that story. In 12 years with My OutDesk, Daniel has helped thousands of clients scale their businesses and grow profitability, and he has helped many prominent businesses over those years. Daniel, take a moment and fill in any further tidbits about your life.
0: Yeah, man. I love what we do. We basically instantly scale growing companies with virtual assistants. So if you're listening right now, I'm excited to share my biggest mistake because I've I've got a lot. It was hard to pick one. But yeah, what we do is we staff growing companies and we do it quickly. And with 5,000 people placed over 12 years, we've learned a lot.
1: My goodness. I love that instantly scale fantastic words and as I had mentioned prior I have been using outsource services now for more than a decade and hundreds of thousands of dollars on it and I can tell you that I've done it alone I didn't do it through a lot of assistance or anybody that kind of guided me and yeah I probably lost a lot of time and mm-hmm. you know now I certainly know a lot more but I know the benefits of outsourcing. As we speak, there's probably 15 people that are on my outsource list around the world from the Philippines to the Ukraine to the US and the opportunities are massive. So we'll make sure that we have your links in the bio for anybody that's listening to get started in that conversation. Perfect. Exciting. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. This is the easy part for me. And yeah. since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story.
0: Yeah, I love it. So I'm, I'm a real estate broker, started in 2003 and, you know, rode the wave in the US. Our market was like growing at 30% a year. It was, I mean, it was really nuts. If you had a heartbeat and a pulse, you were getting a loan for a million bucks to buy any house you wanted and so in california it was exceptionally horrible for us to go through the recession and my area sacramento was in the top 10 markets in the country to be kind of cut in half i mean our valuations went literally in half within a two year period if you can imagine if you bought a house for 400,000 you know two years later it was worth 200 and by the way you still had a mortgage of 350 and you know, all the new, the the sky was following and people were running. And it was a, it was an interesting time. I was a mortgage guy at that time too, and a contractor and developer. And I'd come into the office and every single day there'd be a new lender that was a huge multi-billion dollar lender that would literally go bankrupt. Like website dead, phone no longer works. And, you know, people were just scared. And in 2007 my business experienced a 90% drop in revenue so 90% drop in one quarter so our first quarter i think my total revenue was like $12,000 for an entire quarter and, you know and i had a huge staff and employees and assistants and so that was really challenging i actually closed my office and moved back into my home and I went from having three offices, more than thirty licensed people, to you know working out of my bedroom or my back bedroom of the house, and so that was a really uh, fun time. And but we reinvented in two thousand seven. I started learning about short sales and foreclosures and what's a deed in lieu? And like all of the financial meltdown basically opened up an entire industry. And I traveled around the the country, went to New York and Dallas and Boston and met all these huge institutional lenders who had thousands of homes in Sacramento that were for sale. And so I'd raise my hand and say, Hey, I'm Daniel. I'd love to sell your homes. Because at that time they were the only people selling, like literally. The only one selling were the banks. And I remember I personally bought a house. So this might be the best investment I ever ever made. I bought a three-bedroom, two-bath house in an average working neighborhood for $26,000. Like literally. One condo, we bought a two-bedroom, one-bath condo in the hood. So absolutely in a bad part of town. But we called it our credit card condo because I paid $10,000 for it. And that was the world that we were in. In fact, that $10,000 condo sold two years prior for $120,000. So we were just completely shell shocked at what was happening in the real estate world. But we made this zig, and then I started helping lots of people buy real estate because, you know, if you're an investor and there's a massive downswing like there was in seven, eight, nine you know there's a lot of blood in the water so to speak the sharks came out and they absolutely were hungry and so i watched you know some investors with as little as half a million to a million dollars pick up 30 40 houses and do it really quickly and so i fancied myself as a developer and i was a contractor and i we built some homes and one of the banks that I served was IndiMac Bank. I don't know if you guys remember that bank, but it's gone now. They had this great back-end system called Emit, which it was like an online loan platform. That you literally just put all the information in online and you push submit and then it would say approved. And as in a mortgage broker, it was the coolest thing because I you just fax in W twos and and like tax returns and literally you could get an approval in three days and have funding within seven. So, but of course they were hardest hit because of that like easy underwriting. They were one of the hardest companies out there and they had this house and you would love this house Andrew it was just this beautiful it was on the hills in San Francisco and you drove up to it and it had one of those driveways that had a little hill to the top and what had happened was the previous owner had decided to convert the garage into a master bedroom well the city in San Francisco they said uh-uh-uh in the middle of construction they red tagged it started finding it, finding the house. The owner, you know, had like a million and a half dollar mortgage on it. And in the middle of construction and the city, it was called the city of San Anselmo. And so here I am a real estate, you know, agent and broker and contractor. And I thought, well, I can fix that. You know, I can work with the city and we can get it approved. And it's not hard to renovate a house and do a conversion the right way. And so we went through a process and I thought, man, if they the previous owner bought it for like one and a half million dollars, you know, it's a still at six hundred and fifty. It's a steal. Like I'm gonna this is this is gonna be a home run. So I close on the the property. The city requires plans, so I work with a designer and an engineer to draw the plan support the property or support the addition in the garage and I turned it into the city and this is the first time I'd ever worked with the city so I was like hi guys you know I got all excited you know hi how are you I met all the neighbors and I met the inspector and I met the city engineer and and submitted my plans and the guy across the counter said um yeah so guess what like and I'm like my heart starts beating because the guess what is like the engineers speak for watch out trouble ahead. Turns out this house happened, they had a hill behind it. And in San Francisco, they have these things called earthquakes. And they have this soil composition that is prone to mudslides and earthquakes. Have you ever seen an earthquake in San Francisco? The house falls off the hill and everybody dies. And so they were not excited about renovation. And there was this retaining wall in the back. that was about 20 feet off the backyard, but then there was this huge hill up behind and the retaining wall went down six feet and it had those big old railroad train, you know, wood members down in it. And it looked sturdy to me, but there were some areas that it was breaking through. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I know there's a hill. I'm going to fix it. Don't worry. I'm going to go in and I'm going to fix the retaining wall. I've already priced out the lumber. I know exactly what needs to happen. By the way, did you know I'm a contractor? And they're like, yeah, 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 Daniel, you have to have a soils report in order to do that. I'm like, but it's already there. I'm not gonna, well, you're converting the garage to a bedroom, so if you wanna add additional living space, you know, we're gonna have to go ahead and get a soils
1: report. So I said,
0: okay, how hard could that be?
1: I thought you were gonna say, okay, maybe I won't convert the garage. No, no. <laughs> you know why? Already there.
0: That, no, that would have been the right move, Andrew. You're mm, freaking yeah. absolutely right. I should have abandoned the and this is all hindsight, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And we should not talk about that yet. Exactly. Having gone to the big the big <laughs> point yet. So I get a, a soils engineer and the soils engineer says, Oh yeah, that hill is coming down any second. You have to mitigate it. And I'm like, Well, what's mitigating a hill? Like, how do you mitigate a hill when the house is below the hill? Like, what do you do? He said, oh, Daniel, let me tell you. So I got the plan submitted. I got the engineer to sign off and buy off on what the plan was. And the city said, no, no, no. We want you to do this. And what this was, was drill 25 feet down into the ground have a metal railroad tie, a T, basically a metal T-bar, an H-bar, mm. drop into that 25-foot hole and then pour concrete all the way down that 25-foot hole within the whole circumference of the, the circle. I think it was four feet. So I had to drop four feet down, pull all that dirt up, put concrete down, and then the, the railroad tie had to stick up 10 feet 10 feet from the top from the and that spaced every 10 feet for 250 feet of the backyard so my i'm gonna make a million dollars selling this awesome beautiful house with views over the bay area turned into the only one of two times in a couple hundred real estate transactions that I personally owned and flipped and sold and did all that. The only two where I lost money. And on that particular one, I lost more than
1: $200,000. That's crazy. And what happened? Did you, did you actually build those? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no choice. Yeah. Because
0: at this point the city knows that the, so I only had two options. I had knock the house down and lose everything or put the wall in. Because now there was a soils report on file with the county and the city of San Anselmo. And once that's done, you know, if you want an occupancy sticker on a house, you have to go through the process of mitigating the, the stuff because they just they're not going to have a family move in, have an earthquake and have the, the
1: hill come down. So. And what about the houses to the left and right? Now that you did a soil <laughs> study, did they have to then do the same thing?
0: not until they upgrade their house. So the moment you touch your home, now you have to do the same because it was on file. But here's the crazy thing. They made me do this line across my property, but I was in the center of the cul-de-sac on the top of the hill. So this line protected the houses to the right and left of the hill that was right behind my house.
1: That's my donation to your wealth.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, and as you think about like, yeah, so what I should have done is not done anything. I should have taken the house, put it back to original, sold a two bedroom, one bath house, and nicely upgraded the kitchen and bathroom and fixed the backyard. But you know, I don't know if I, I had watched so many people because remember in 2007, we lost 90% of our revenue. So there was a hole. I mean, mm-hmm. at one point, Andrew, to survive, I had over $114,000 in credit card debt. And there was a moment where had I not closed a transaction, real estate transaction with an investor, I wasn't going to be able to pay my own mortgage. And so I was digging myself out of this hole, but I'm making all these guys, these investor guys, I'm watching the sharks circle all these properties and I'm selling them to them. And I'm thinking, this is a home run. I know it, they know it. And I'm getting 3% of the deal as a real estate broker. And so, you know, if you ask what my issue was, I felt like this was a house that I could do, but I didn't have the time to properly assess risk, consider the options and really, you know, make good decisions. The other thing that I, the other mistake that I made was it was in a jurisdiction that I wasn't used to. I'm in Sacramento. That was San Francisco. We don't have hills. We don't have earthquakes. I mean, Mm. so as a developer contractor, you know, had I been in contractor in San Anselmo, the contractor would have looked at the hill and said, Dude, you're, you can't do this. But I didn't have that experience. Yep. And so here I was risking all of my net worth mm. on a project that I just.
1: I didn't so, how did it out. close out? Did you eventually sell that house or are you live in it now? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, I mean, look, I took a loss. I mean, Andrew, I just, you know, and the reality is I was building my OutDesk, you know, a virtual assistant company. I had a real estate brokerage and I was a real estate investor. So I was buying and selling and flipping. But you know, when you're digging out of the hole and you take a $200,000 loss, you take some money from that Peter to pay Paul. That's what happened. Yep. And Got you it. Know, that's the reality of being in business Is, and I'll tell you right now, I don't buy in other jurisdictions. Like yep. I know where I know what I know in the areas that I know in the world that I know. And that's it.
1: Well, that brings us into the next question, which is what lessons did you learn? And keep in mind that there's some people out there that may be facing the exact same type of situation and the lessons that you learned from this could really help them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I bought property outside of Sacramento since, outside of my home city, and I've flipped some deals in other areas. I did a flip in Texas, but I always... I'm now partner with people who really know the market and I keep control of the deals through the cash and through entities. So, I mean, what I learned is, you know, have a partner. If you're going to go into an area, somebody that you know and trust, set up the entities, right. Make sure you control the deal through the cash that you invest and the deeds and all that. The other thing is don't invest in an area that you just don't know. Like I just did not know, that that hill was gonna be such a hill for me to financially climb over. And so those are the things that Got it. we do now.
1: Okay, well, let me summarize some of my takeaways. The first one that I'm thinking about is, you know, Warren Buffett is a great example of a guy that says, yes. well, I don't understand tech, so I don't invest in tech. Yeah. So a great play on what you're saying is invest in what you know and slowly expand from there.
0: I'd and- add something to that too. You know, real estate is one of my loves, and then this isn't a real estate podcast, so I don't I don't wanna say that. But number one, it's very leverageable, meaning you can get most of the money from the bank. Number two, it's the only industry where you can do insider trading and not get in trouble. I know the market, you know, the seller may not, or the Mm. other person on the other side. And so I, you know, I just love real estate as a long term play.
1: So we call that asymmetrical information. Yes. Right. Now, that is, in fact, the case, if somebody walks into the stock market, opens up a, a brokerage account or goes online and sets up a brokerage account and decides they're going to buy stock ABC, and they have a tiny amount of information, they're trading against maybe a 1,000 people that know stock ABC to a maximum, and therefore, it's asymmetrical in that case. But I definitely get your point. The other thing, though, is I just want to talk about the idea of a downturn and yeah. you know what what I think about that reminds me of that. And that is, there's a few elements you need to gain from a downturn. The first is you have to know that you're in the bottom. Yes. And many people don't even know, like prior to this podcast, we were talking about the market is expensive and all that. And I said, well, the U S market is expensive. The Mm -hmm. markets outside of the U S are actually pretty cheap. So we could say that, you know, the US is expensive. Is it in a bubble? Well, that's that's another question for another podcast. But the point is, be aware where the valuations are and where the situation is. So that's the first thing to benefit from a downturn.
0: I would even add something. There's a couple things that you can track. I mean, and this isn't that show, but if we're yeah. going to talk about real estate, foreclosures, you know, year over year price changes, you know, we're, it's, Time it's coming again. Winter is coming, as they would say in the Game of Thrones, and it's ready.
1: Yeah, and I would highlight why is it coming and why are they so bad these days. I'd say part of my theory on that is that we've lost, you know, a generation out there. My mother's generation, as an example, who's she's eighty-one, is that she used to say something like "buyer beware, caveat emptor." She used to say that you have to look out for yourself. She used to say the government, you know, that generation would say the government is not going to help you. And that generation, you know, said that, you know, you have to prepare for the worst. You know, Mm -hmm. that generation's parents lived through the Great Depression. That generation's parents went through a lot of trouble. And we're in a whole nother generation where everybody feels as though the government can actually save the day. And the problem with that is that it often causes brand new unintended consequences and it causes things to be unresolved. And so, yes, we're going into probably the next crisis and there's many things that were caused in the prior crisis by the government and in this upcoming one by the government. So, But everybody expects that the government could really be there to pump more money in. it's like your favorite heroin dealer, like, you know, you're now... You've now drug the person for 10 years and come on, get that dealer back in this room and pump this guy up. You know, Mm -hmm. that's where it's at.
0: Well, I would add like, I mean, historically, I mean, we're at 3%, 2.75 mortgage rates in in California, 3%. I mean, that's basically free money based on inflation. It's free money. Like why wouldn't you – I mean yeah I just don't know why people aren't thinking that the worst is
1: And going. that rate is not set by the market it's set by the Fed and the point is right. that if that rate has been set by the market you know obviously okay you pump money into the system right at the crisis time understand but if you leave that that to be completely manipulated by the Fed then you run into a situation where the whole price mechanism that's so important in capitalism is destroyed in the price of money that you create a distortion that is going to be a crazy situation when it goes so the first thing is to know that you're in a crisis the second thing is you have to have cash yes or let's say cash and credit you know but if you don't have the cash to be buying at that time sorry if you know that you're in a crisis but you don't have cash you can't take advantage of it and the last one is that you got to have guts because during a crisis. When you have cash, the last thing anybody in the world would tell you to do is put it into, you know, invest it now. Every time you look at the newspaper, the news of CNN or CNBC or all these things, they'll be pumping out all the negative information and most people won't have guts. And then you look back 10 years and you go, why didn't I invest then when it was down 90% yeah. or whatever? It's because of the emotional issues. So those are some of my takeaways from uh, your story. We, we definitely could... You know there's a lot there any thoughts yeah you know
0: it's interesting there's two ways to make money i believe in investing and one is that consistency of you know every month you add your money in and you you compile it and there's dollar average costing and all that kind of jazz and then the other way is when you know the market's down go all in and triple and quadruple your net worth and so you have to be know yourself so when you say it takes guts i I'm all about that. And I, am, I cannot wait for the next downturn to come around. And so, yeah, I'm, yep. I'm all excited about it.
1: Yep. All right. So based upon what you've learned from this story and what you've continued to learn over the years, what yeah. one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? They're sitting there looking at this great deal. They see an opportunity. They really see a chance to do what the prior owner didn't do you know, I'm gonna get this done, I'm gonna walk into the city in this case, yeah. and you know, make it happen. What one piece of advice?
0: Yeah, you know what, I mean, in real estate, <clears throat> and or investing, you can really remove most of the risk prior to committing the nut, and I chose not to. And it was purely out of a time crunch. Like I was busy building my out desk to help other companies scale, I was busy running a real estate brokerage, and construction company. And so the idea of like telling the seller, hey, I need another three months to nail down all these unknowns. Well, I didn't want to lose the deal and I didn't have a lot of time. And so look, in real estate investing, nail down all the unknowns that you can prior to investing your your dollars and going what we call going hard on your investment. And so that's the
1: one thing just let me ask you how to do that. Is it first, it's time, don't be rushed, is part of that. Is the second part about getting, you know, inspector, or how does that work?
0: Well, it's a good question. You know, the top 10 real estate developers, guess why they're, over the last 50 years, it's the same 10. Like, they've merged or changed names or got bought or gone private. But the same 10 developers that were here you know, 50 years ago are pretty much the same 10 that are atop that are building most of the homes in the US and are responsible for most of the new homes built, right? Well, what's the one reason? It's because they don't own the property themselves. They go out and they they buy a long term option on the land. And they don't go hard until they've dealt with the cities and the communities and they've got their plans set and their and everything's ready to go. Then they close, but they get the financing lined up, they nail down their contractors, they know what they're going to sell for. And you know, when the economy is a slow, they just let the options expire and they don't get into risk. And so these same tenants can be used, whether you're a small or medium size, or, you know, one of my clients has literally half a billion in real estate that he's built up. And we, we staffed his property management company, he owns a bunch of commercial pieces of property regardless of your size, you know, take away all the unknowns that you can upfront. Negotiate for more time, negotiate for more contribution from the seller, negotiate to get your clear plan into the city and get an approval. That's what major developers, major home builders and smart investors do is they leave no unknowns in the equation before they go hard.
1: Got it, all right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: Double the size of our business, man. Every single time one of our clients comes into us, we help entrepreneurs instantly scale. We we talked about that before. And so we're, we're right now at 1,200 people. We want to go to 2,400. And so I help entrepreneurs figure out their plans to double. And that's where we're at right now within our is How are we going to double for the next 12 to 24 months?
1: All right, listeners, raise your hand if you want to double the size of your business in the next 12 months. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So that's a great goal, and I think you know, you've got the tools to help people do that. So for any listeners that are wanting to achieve such a goal, go to the show notes. I'll put links to everything there. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end the show, Daniel, I want to thank you again for coming on. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave souls that are willing to come on and turn your worst investment into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: No, man. I just really appreciate you. And actually, it was cathartic. I enjoy sharing this story. I don't think I've ever shared it with an audience before, so it's been great. And if you're listening, man, don't get scared have guts of steel, and just keep plowing forward.
1: Amen. Fantastic advice. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.